listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. So you're back. This is Al Martin. You're, you're back at Making Data Simple. Thank you for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Today, we're going to have a good time. I am here with Shadi Kopti, and Shadi is the executive director, not just a director, uh, Shadi, but an executive director of AI Tools and Runtimes here at IBM. He serves in the capacity of offering management. Uh, I work with Shadi on a regular basis. I consider him a friend at this point in time, but uh, no, we, we work together on a regular basis. He's a good man and we're gonna, much smarter than me, we're gonna learn a lot about um, AI tools and runtime today. So welcome Shadi, uh, we're gonna have a chat. So get your beer ready. I'm not gonna go easy on you, but we're gonna have some fun today. You ready? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so let, let, I, I couldn't even do justice in introducing yourself. So why don't you introduce yourself, Shadi, if you wouldn't mind, describe what you do, and we'll go from there. So I lead offering management for Watson Tools and Runtime. Uh, offering management is the IBM term for product management. So I'm responsible for Watson Studio, Watson Machine Learning, Watson OpenScale, as well as our SPSS uh, statistics and decision optimization portfolio. Very good. Um, where do you come from? You came from IBM Research, didn't you? Yeah. So what brings you to this role? So I started my career in IBM Research in Haifa and the Haifa Labs in Israel. Uh, spent uh, 13 years in research. Started out actually early on building um, expert systems for our verification engineers to boost their productivity and um, verification processes for our hardware. Moved over to the US about five years ago and then found myself in a role of uh, leading a large data science group, about uh, 50 of them. And then um, Daniel, my boss, uh, figured out that I'd be pretty good for offering management, and here I am. Very good. So how long have you been in the data science world? Uh, I would say about um, data science, about five years. Although I've spent quite a bit of time around AI uh, early on in my career, around, as I said, expert system, constraint programming, a lot of the things that we used to consider AI uh, before data exploded and data and AI became sort of synonyms. So you started in research originally doing data, some data science, yes? Yeah, I mean, again, if you go back, uh, this is 17 years ago, um, data had not exploded yet at that point in time. You know, internet um, hasn't, been what it is today in terms of digitizing almost everything that's happening on the planet. Uh, so a lot of the AI algorithms at the time were really computation heavy. Um, you describe a system and you get uh, planning algorithms to help you figure out uh, the right approach. So data and machine learning was, was really something that started becoming more and more prominent in the last, I don't know, say uh, decade plus. Um, with a lot of interesting things happening the last couple of years. But um, so AI has been a, a variety of things and what we call AI tends to move based on what we think is you know, really fascinating and the magic of the day, right? I, I like to point back to you know, 1997 when 
a Deep Blue beat Kasparov in a chess match, uh, that was basically highly parallel software. It had no machine learning or deep learning in it, and we used to call it AI. I think people today, as um, you know, they're playing a chess game on their Mac, they don't necessarily think of that as AI, even though you know, from a computer science discipline perspective, it certainly is considered AI. All right. So, so fair enough. There, there, there are two different spaces here. I mean, there, there's more, but I'm going to narrow it down to two different spaces. We've got the AI uh, application space, kind of like Watson application. If you, you know, that's what we call it at IBM. Ho hopefully, the community might already knows that our branding is working. And then, secondly, we have AI tools and runtime, which is essentially again under the Watson portfolio. We tend to, as you you outlined it before, Watson Studio, Watson ML, machine learning. Watson OpenScale, but could you could you essentially break down that a little bit further? The AI tools and runtimes. What does the AI tools and runtimes for the listener mean? Yeah, so basically this this is deline this delineation talks about: Are you building an AI based off of your own data, or are you using prepackaged AI applications? So just to to make it really concrete, if you use um, an API to help you take um, video and caption it. Let's say you, you, you can rent this capability from IBM through an API service. You're not yet building, building an AI that is specific to your data. Um, so Tools and Runtime really focuses on, I've got my proprietary data, let's say my customer records, and I want to build an intelligent system that learns from that. So uh, the, the line between the two is really, is it relating to your own data or is it something that is completely generic? You can plug into an application and have features that behave like human intelligence would look like. So if you, if you can though, all right, so I got that. So now let's stay on the tools and runtime side. What does it really mean to be tools in runtime? And what you, you did talk about, um, again, we talked about three products. I'd like you to break down the products a little bit, I guess what I'm asking there, Shadi, like Studio, machine, Watson Machine Learning, Watson OpenScale. And we've also got something called Watson Knowledge Catalog. How do these all fit together that encompass what we just characterized as tool and runtime? Yeah, so if you think about building an intelligent system, what, what you would do, and when you're building an intelligent system based off of your proprietary data, um, again, this is not downloading data from the internet that you were building a classifier to detect what is a cat and what is a dog, because you know in the business context, that's not really meaningful. So you're building an AI system. To build an AI system off of your own data, you need uh, to catalog your data to understand where your data assets are sitting, where your models are sitting. So that's what's in knowledge catalog, helps you catalog, clean up data that you have. Then you need to build these machine learning and deep learning models off of structured or unstructured data. The environment in which you build that is Studio, so it's the build environment. Now, out of Studio, you come out with a model. A model is not yet an intelligent system. So to turn it from a model into something that can be integrated into an intelligent system, you need uh, Watson Machine Learning. This is the deploy capability, and we can talk about you know, a variety of interesting things around the deploy capability. Finally, an intelligent system, very different than um, what you would typically think of as a deterministic system, requires monitoring and some guardrails to make sure that the business user is comfortable in integrating this intelligent system into their business process or application. And that's what Watson OpenScale does. It's sort of the, the post-deployment 
um, integration with the business application. So that's the, the entirety of the portfolio, starting from cataloging, building, turning a model into a system, and then integrating that system into other systems and uh, putting the guardrails around it so that a business user can trust it and sort of delegate their authority into an intelligent system. Now, so, so got it, got it. So let's talk about a little bit about Watson Studio. I presume, well, I'm not gonna presume anything. I'm not gonna lead the witness today as best that I can. And that is, what's the persona that we're targeting here with Watson Studio? So Studio is primarily built for a data scientist or a data analyst um, that's trying to um, build predictive, prescriptive models, machine learning or deep learning um, based off of, um, again, proprietary. It could also be a mixture of proprietary and public data, but it's that persona that is thinking about the business use case, the math, and the modeling. Um, that is the primary persona for Studio, the builders of, of these models. So essentially, in, in again, I, 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 well, I presume that before you go into Watson Studio, you start this journey of cataloging, uh, et cetera, everything you just went through. Right. You've got to get your data in a state that that is ready to be leveraged by um, AI and the in the machine learning models that you're you're about to build. Right. Yes. No. Yep. So that that's a given. That that's that's you got to get your data in, in that that state. Once you do and you're ready to deploy, you go to Watson Studio, which is Watson Studio is a collection of of open source tools. Um, you can write in uh, R, Python, uh, Python, Scala, what, whatever that that you you choose. Uh, Container-based, I presume? Yeah. Um, so uh, Studio, of course, you know, we, we didn't talk about the, the trend that's happening in data science in the last couple of years, I mean, decade plus, is that most data scientists today have a preference for open source frameworks. As you said, Python, R, Scala, um, specific uh, packages like Scikit-Learn and Pandas and others. So Studio supports the use of these packages. Um, but also to deal with some of the skill shortages that we have in data science. So we're coming out with capability around auto AI where uh, we're, we, we took a couple of Kaggle masters and codified how they build models uh, the best way possible. And we use these algorithms to create better models automatically, um, produce them out in Python code. So a data scientist can use that to get started and continue to add accuracy and improve it um, based on their own expertise. So I'm calling out auto AI as a thing that we do above and beyond just supporting the, uh, the frameworks to deal with skill shortage. Because you know we understand that AI is, is super exciting. There's a lot of economic opportunity for AI. Um, but one bottleneck for AI today is there's not enough expert data scientists um, to you know, to feed the needs of all of the companies out there. So auto AI So is, how much... Go ahead, Al. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 finish your... So, so auto AI is one thing. Another thing that we do is we use um, visual productivity tools. Um, so drag and drop capabilities to do data analysis and modeling. So this can be used in conjunction with an expert uh, data scientist because in studio, we really think about team productivity. We don't just think about you know, the individual. We understand that our customers 
eventually as they go and attack these problems, it's not just onesie twosie, it's groups of people, um, some that would bring more of the business insights, some that would bring more of the data understanding, others that might bring in expertise as it relates to modeling, um, maybe to uh, big data uh, capabilities. So all these things happen inside of Studio and Studio helps with distributing the work between various players that are not necessarily bringing uh, the exact same skill. So I get some questions on auto AI, but before I go to questions on auto AI, I wanna, well, let me back up and say this. Look, uh, in full disclosure, I'm responsible for the development of these products as well. So I am leading the witness a little bit, but uh, I wanna be fair and very open uh, and have a, a dialogue with with the uh, the listener here, or, or dialogue so the listener can, can get a ton of value. So the one thing, and I, I try to be critical or outside looking, if you will, in, in terms of, um, you know, whatever we're discussing. And the question I would have is, and I got to believe some of the listeners are, are curious to ask is, look, I get it, Al, that's pretty cool. You're aggregating a bunch of open source tools, but why wouldn't I just go with open source? Yeah, and, and that is, that's a fair question. Um, you can actually download open source and build uh, stuff around it. Um, I will say from my own experience, so as I said, I used to I used to run a, a large um, data science shop and we actually decided to start with open source and we discovered that to actually support our needs from an end-to-end -end plus deployment, um, we had to build some stuff on our own and we really ended up building deployment capabilities for open source that took us, um, I would say, two years to perfect with about three um, developers so think about six developers running just to get the thing up and running um so while, while you can get started with open source quite quickly it, as you continue the journey you discover that you've got some gaps so this is just from the end-to-end -end deployment then on um, visual productivity and auto ai these things today do not exist um, in isolation in open source so while we recognize the need for the frameworks and we support the frameworks we're trying to say, what is it that we do? What is it that we bring that would lift the productivity of the team um, so that you know, a data science leader that's investing in the space can show uh, success to the business much faster than they would by just going at it alone with, with completely just bare bone open source capabilities. So I think that's, that's really the, the, the mindset that, that we go after this space with. And auto AI is just one example, right? Where we say you, you take something that used to take us weeks and now you can just get started in a couple of minutes. Um, we allow you to export everything that we do into Python. So we, we don't want to lock you in um, in, a specific, in a specific tooling or framework. Um, so that's, that's quite significant. Our customers love it. So that brings me back to my original question on auto AI. How much auto is auto AI? I mean, what, 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 what are the dynamics and characteristics? Because, yeah, hell, that's a huge differentiator if you can automate a lot of this uh, augmented intelligence or these models, machine learning models that you're putting in there. Uh, but sometimes it sounds too good to be true. So how much, how much is actually automated? So uh, let me start with um, just to, to remove the too good to be true. I don't think auto AI replaces the data scientist. I don't think auto AI replaces the need for a data scientist the ability to um, judge what is right and what is wrong for a specific data set is still not something that you can entirely automate. It's, it's very dependent on 
the specific domain. So we're not claiming that auto AI makes the data scientist um, not needed. Uh, we are saying that we take some of the actions that they would have done and do them automatically for them. Uh, we do think that auto AI is also going to take somebody who's maybe not very experienced and give them some superpowers coming in from the heuristics that we use, again, coming out of a couple of Kegel masters that we have uh, that have codified their knowledge. So it's not it's not like you say, okay, take this tool, you no longer have, you no longer need the data scientist, but you do say, take this tool and now your data scientist can focus on things that only they can bring, like the understanding of the domain, like the understanding of the data. So I've got a follow-on question, but before I do that, Ari, you've talked about Watson Studio. I want to talk about Watson Machine Learning. Now, and you, you describe this as the deployment arm of this portfolio and then open skill is like managing or you know a governance for ai uh, but i'll save that one for a minute but when you get back to watson machine learning what are the um, characteristics of that deployment and the one thing you know i could tell you the question that i would imagine that the the listeners are most interested in is for particularly those that have experience with deploying models as you deploy models, uh, it seems like you're in constant maintenance mode after you deploy it. Does Watson ML help out with that? And is that where does, does going back to the auto AI, does it come back in and, and help to automate some of this so you can get on and uh, drive new models versus getting stuck in a quagmire of a continuous maintenance loop? Yeah, so I'll just stop there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, of course, models. Um, as you say, models in certain cases do decay depending on the behavior of the data. So if you've got data that's very volatile and changes a lot, you're going to need um, to catch up with, with new models. So uh, the, the, first, the first basic thing that you get in, in WML is you take a model, a uh, piece of Python code, and you turn it into a, an executable pipeline that you can start calling from other parts of your system. So from the developer persona that's interacting with this, WML is the first point of interaction. Um, now, what it does for uh, people who use WML is it takes, care of, it takes care of a couple of concerns that typically a data scientist would not be able to deal with, like um, security, scalability, uh, governance, compliance. So there's a, a bunch of things that WML adds to a system that's being built uh, that is really difficult for the data scientist. Uh, so that's just sort of the, the basic the basic need. Then there is the uh, the loop of what's happening to the accuracy of the model. So that's something that we allow you to get. And for customers that choose to do so, we allow automatic retraining. So basically you say, if your accuracy drops below a certain level, um, we can trigger a retrain so that it gets um, up to date automatically. The retraining has got to be of interest to the community because that, that helps with the maintenance cost and the, you know, I, I know a lot of data scientists that I work with on a regular basis and they get stuck in that quagmire that I talked about before where they develop a ton of models and they get stuck just re or doing maintenance on those models. And that's not why they signed up for it. They want, you know, they want to discover the next big thing. They want them to continue to work, but you know, look, there'll always be some maintenance to your point. Yep. Uh, and, there's, but it, you know, with the retraining based on accuracy, that certainly helps and helps with the pace and, and hopefully reduces that maintenance requirement. 
But what about uh, things like uh, model drift, data drift? Is that also detected as part of that uh, retraining? Right. So that's that's part of the um, and you know one of the things that we're working on right now is is automatically detecting any of the drift that happens. So besides accuracy dropping, if I detect that the data environment that I was trained on is starting to look very different than the data environment that I'm operating in, then we will be detecting that and signaling that to the people who are uh, maintaining these models. So this is not yet part of uh, WML, but it's uh, something that we're working on and will come out in the future. Got it. Will that be part of uh, machine learning? Yep. Or, or the studio or, or the machine uh, learning deployment? Can you... Go ahead. It'll be part of the VML. Can you have Watson Machine Learning, or, or sorry, Watson Studio without Watson ML? Yes. Um, there are people that would build these models for um, just extracting insights. So you could use Watson Studio and stop at saying, okay, I understand that my best performers uh, tend to have these things in common and then maybe take that and turn it into a PowerPoint presentation and talk to an executive and say, here's here are the characteristics of top performers. Maybe there's an action that you want to do. This is not really, this is what we traditionally used to call advanced analytics, um, predictive analytics, maybe data mining, uh, but that does not necessarily need a deployment vehicle. So that's a use case where you say, I'll start with Studio without a WML. I'm not going to build a system out of the insights that I'm extracting here. All right. So in in the last, I guess the third leg of the table, in not counting Watson uh, Knowledge Catalog, we can get into that too. But OpenScale, what does OpenScale specifically add to the mix that you've already stated? So in OpenScale, we're tackling a couple of issues that are um, post-deployment um, issues that a business user might worry about. So one of the one of the barriers to adoption of AI systems is really in the business world, um, different than the consumer world. When you delegate a decision to an AI system, you are still held accountable to whatever results that come out of these decisions. So a lot of people just, again, to make this concrete, I'm a marketer. I used to uh, decide on how I'm going to attack certain segments. And suddenly somebody comes to me and says, my AI system is going to Create the segments for me. Just trust me, it's going to be amazing. Now, problem with that is if the AI messes up and comes up with the wrong segments, whoever is um, delegating their decisions to an AI system is still held accountable to whatever that AI system decided to do. So in OpenScale, we take care of the, the layer between the business user and um, the AI system, making sure that we can translate whatever um, attributes that the models have and the system has to business KPIs that the business user would understand. We have guardrails around an AI, so we say, I'm okay with you, just take an example of price optimization, I'm okay with you optimizing within this range, um, dear AI system, but if you want to go out this range, you need to come to me for approval. So, you know, putting it very much as you would do when you hire an intern and you say, I've got this level of trust, now I'm going to expand the level of trust. Now, finally, area of uh, detecting bias in AI systems, so explaining uh, what the AI system is doing. So 
open scale explainability is one of the, the major benefits that we give the business user. So I would say, well, we gave this person, you, AI decided to give this person a loan, explain that decision to me so I can uh, verify on my intern that the intern is doing good, good decisions. And then detecting biases in the decisions that the AI is doing so that the AI doesn't get me in trouble. For example, if suddenly the AI is discriminating against a certain age, um, OpenScale helps with putting guardrails around that. So it's got to do with model governance, um, model validation, and making sure that the business user has comfort in how they use an AI system. Now, did you, you just kind of made a leap there, uh, at least in other words, when you talked about Watson Studio, Watson Machine Learning, we were talking about the data scientist. We were talking about, you know, essentially a coder. And is that to, but, but, uh, but when you talked about open scale, you're talking about the business user at this point. Tom. Right. So have, have we made that leap. Yes. So Studio is primarily focused on the data scientist. WML is um, really on the engineer that's interacting with. So it's both the data scientist and the data engineer would be using Studio. An open scale is something that a system builder would use so that their primary persona is the business user. So giving comfort to that business user, again, the KPIs, the debiasing, the explainability, all of these concerns that whoever is going to use an AI system is going to have to worry about. All right, fair enough. All right, so I'm going to summarize and you know, you're welcome to beat me up. <laughs> So this is your turn to beat me up. So here's here's the way I look at it, and particularly as it relates to the offer that we have here, the offering that we have here, and our differentiators. I'll start with the offering. I mean, what we're going after here is speed, accuracy, and transparency of data ins insights through AI and, and, and machine learning. We've taken the most popular open source tools and frameworks, and we've combined them with and we haven't talked about this, but we combine them with a proven longstanding technology in the form of SPSS, something that's been around 50 years, SPSS for data science. And so what we have is uh, essentially tools that do, as we've said, you know, build, deploy, manage. They focus on visual productivity and they integrate both the, what we could term a center of excellence or like a data science center of excellence with the line of business. Uh, all built around uh, big data. So you got Watson Studio that builds, explores, does some ad hoc analytics. You've got Watson Machine Learning that that uh, you know trains, it 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 deploys, it scores, uh, and continually retrains. Then you've got OpenScale that explains and identifies bias, and. The way I look at the differentiators, as I've heard, and I'll throw in a few of my own here, is that one, we're, we're very open. We want to remain open. We believe in open source. We're hybrid. Uh, we, you know, the, we know that the enterprise data is fragmented. So we're going to move data science to that data. That leads to that open comment that I just made. It's multi-cloud, um, you know, GPU supports, et cetera. Uh, we also know that true data scientists are a scarce resource. So we're trying to promote the idea of team productivity, the sharing of notebooks, the scalability within our, our, our products. Uh, and we know that oper operationalizing, uh, if that, is that what I'm going to say? Operationalizing AI is difficult. So we're trying to give the full AI lifecycle 
uh, with, with the products that you, you just outlined. And then to add to that, we've got um, Auto AI uh, that really puts, you know, re, put, I guess it's retraining on steroids. Doesn't replace, as you said, the, the data scientists, but it gives more time back to the data scientists for new models and, and looking at, at, at futures. And, and again, we want clients to be able to understand their models free from bias with a guaranteed 100% accuracy. How did I, I do? You, I, did think, I, I think you did great, Alan. I think you could take my job for uh, for product. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only listening, man. I've been working with you too long. Um, I've been working with you too long. No, I'm I, learning. I think, you know, to, to nutshell it, AI is is a massive, massive economic opportunity. Uh, we believe that we in IBM, as we have been um, always serving the enterprise. We're looking at the enterprise needs. We understand that they have to do with skills in the data scientist, the taking them from the model all the way to the application and dealing with constraints around um, the data infrastructure and hybrid and how do these things look like. So we, we are here to help enterprises win in this era of AI. So let me let me let me let me take this one step further. I, I'm going to outline you, put myself on the spot. I shouldn't do that because I'm the host. I, I should do what I want. I should put you on the spot. But I'm going to put myself on the spot and do and kind of outline what I see as our business flywheel. We've been talking about this lately. Given our differentiation, I want you to beat this up as well. So ultimately, at the end of the day, we're going to have data insights uh, with unique, with a unique product offering and platform, which leads to uh, or, well, it leads to an open source developer experience framework that also has enterprise grade AI trust and scale. And, and if I could pause there for a second, by example, another thing we add by bringing these, these products together, um, we, we, I'll raise my hand, we delayed our, one of our releases for Watson Studio for two weeks because we found 20 uh, vulnerabilities uh, in the open source as it relates to security. So right there, is a huge justification in, in security. But again, going back to my flywheel, so I, I said, you know, look, data insights via unique product and platform, open source developer experience with enterprise grade trust and scale, which leads to ease of adoption, uh, accelerated by network effects, a great, which leads to a great community ecosystem and reinforce our, our brand on AI, uh, ultimately producing um, economies of scale, that we can invest in pretty uh, further product differentiation. And then I start back over again. What did I miss in, the, in that scenario? I think you have it. I think you have it. Man, I'm getting your approval all over the place. I want you to remember this. We're saving this for posterity. I hope you know that. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Within all that, let's get back to the questions to you. <laughs> Top use cases that you're seeing today. Uh, that you're seeing these two tools being used for? So there's plenty of digitization in the front end, uh, sales and marketing, and AI is heavily used there, and uh, that's going to just continue to expand. Uh, we also see a significant uptick around uh, fraud-related activities, detecting fraud, um, specifically in using deep learning to identify more complex fraud behaviors. Uh, that's that's another one that's um, that we're seeing more and more 
uh, recently. So I tell you, you know, those two areas are um, primary areas of, of growth. Anytime, anytime data meets boring tasks, magic happens. You work with a lot of clients just like, like myself. What do you see as the gap between the leaders and laggards that are in that that are exploring um, machine learning? I think that the uh, the the big gap is the leaders have been ahead of the game in analytics, so they've been doing um, you know, they've got the entire data maturity and analytics maturity in place. Therefore, they're able to go out and create a hundred experiments with different data sets. The laggards get stuck on oh, now I need to find the first data set and I'm stuck in silos. Um, you know, how do I deal with these with these concerns? That tends to be the biggest uh, differentiator. All right, very good. Hey, um, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't have a quick lightning round with you and have a little fun. These are like more personal okay. questions. Game. First of all, I, I know you, Shadi, to know a lot of different languages. Yep. And uh, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but uh, you seem to have a passion around different or languages. I don't know if it's a necessity or a passion, but how many languages do you know at this point or are able to speak? Oh, I speak three fluently and uh, a fourth not fluently. Um, but that's not that's not I don't think it's a passion. Most people who were born in the part of the world that I was born uh, speak at least, uh, you know, Hebrew, Arabic, and English. And I actually decided that I want a fourth. So I decided to learn Spanish, tried Russian before and failed miserably. Spanish was a little easier. <laughs> yeah, but so why would you, all right, so you say it's not a passion, but you already know the three that you have. Why do you, why do you, why the need for another? <laughs> you know, I'm an overachiever, Al. <laughs> oh, okay. You want to be better than everybody else. Okay, I, I, I get it. So <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So speaking up, uh, you know, you where you you grew yes. up in Israel. So um, I mean, that that's you know, what, what was it like growing up in Israel? Were you like a pain in the ass when you were a kid? You seem like you'd be a pain I, in the ass. I, well, not not in the local, uh, not in local references. Maybe you know, here culturally, I seem a little bit of pain in the ass. But but for an average <laughs> for an average person from Israel, I'm I'm pretty pretty mild. <laughs> Are you suggesting everybody I, from Israel is a pain in the ass? <laughs> Let's say we're not shy. So how do you get into the, the tech field in Israel? I mean, is it just something you grew up with? Did you learn later on that that's what you wanted to do? Did you always start with a, like an engineering mindset? I was, um, I was lucky to... I've got um, um, uh, relatives from the U.S. They had uh, a Texas Instrument computer that they no longer needed, so they shipped it home to us. Um, so I had uh, access to a computer at, at the age of six. Uh, had a little book where I could copy instructions and see how it behaves, and the rest was just history. So you were bootlegging. <laughs> I was just gonna mess with you. <laughs> You were bootlegging uh, Atari games, were you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, um, so now you're in offering management. Yeah. Uh, how? Do, here, here's here's the question for you. How do I know when I'm surrounded with offering management greatness? When somebody's great at offering management, management, what does that look like? 
Um, I think somebody who's great in offering management understands the industry they're in, the competitive landscape, knows how to drive their their product to happy customers that appreciate whatever they're bringing. Because every one of us is, is you know, they come from a different company with different pros and cons. So good offering managers know, know how to drive their product um, the right way in market. Or is that, if I was to summarize that just in like one line, it's just, or one one word, is it customer experience? In other words, focusing on the, the customer experience? Is that is that is that a good characterization or no? Am I oversimplifying? I think it is customer experience, but I'm, I'm overlaying that with, you know, what the customer expects from an IBM versus what a customer expects from just say an Apple. Uh, an offering manager has to understand that the company that's behind them and to bring the right values to the customers as they expect it. Okay, back to back to Israel. Who who are your heroes growing up, and not not your family? Can't be related to your family. What heroes did you have when growing up? Um, what heroes? Okay, so I'll I'll tell you, um, it, it's not my immediate family, but I had a, a a few cousins that were already in tech, and I used to just being who I was, I, I used to look up at look look up to them, uh, want to be like them when I grow up. So, a couple of cousins. Did they mentor you at the time? Uh, they thought I was a pain in the ass. Um, you know, they're five years <laughs> older; they don't want to deal with the kid, but. Uh, they didn't come over and teach you how to program on your Texas insurance? Um, no. <laughs> so you had to do that by yourself. But they gave you the, uh, did they Did they also, you know, head to the U.S. or did they stay in Israel? Oh, they, they're, um, they're, still in, they're still in Israel, but, uh, you know, always uh, aspiring to become like them when I grow up. Do you plan to go back to Israel at some point? I mean, like I, permanently? I thought I was going to be here for two years. So I, I decided to quit planning. Doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so you plan to go back, but there is no plan at this point in time because there's uh, no plan. There's no plan. There's no no yeah. no. Uh, no, I think I'm sticking around for a while. What do you do to relax, man? What's your what's your what's your what do you do? For uh, I listen to music, um, hang out with friends, read books. And music, what what is the flavor of music we're talking about here? Um, right now, I'm still listening to a lot of Spanish music. Spanish yeah. music. So how do you get involved in Spanish mu music? How does that come across your playlist? Uh, you, you know, look, if you look, you find there's plenty of recommendations, um, recommendation engines that are hitting us these days. Trust me, Spotify knows what I like. So are is that now your favorite form of music or does it does it switch to different genres oh, and, and yeah, different Yeah, it's, it's which I am anticipating the next step is going to be reggae. So do you understand all the words cuz you you fluently no, speak no, no, Spanish? No. I can I can look them up and understand them, but I'm not that I'm not that good. You just like the beat. Um I like the melody too. <laughs> the the beat melody. All right, fair enough. So offering management, you got to stay on your game. You got to be continuously learning. Where do you continuously learn? What do you read? In, any cheats that you can give the audience in terms of, you know, I'm always looking for 
you know, how to learn faster and, and at a greater pace? Yeah, so my favorite way of learning is still reading books. Um, I, I went through a phase of you know, trying to learn from online, uh, but I found that books, given they have a price tag, they sort of have a filter on quality. Um, I basically read between, you know, spend time on tech, spend some time on the domain that I care about. So all of the, the AI, deep learning, all of the advances and um, some underlying business, right? Strategy, sales, marketing. So I, I read a lot of books. That's how I, um, that's how I learn primarily books. Do, do you do you have any balance of do you read any not, uh, fiction? I do not read fiction at all. <laughs> so it's all business. Well, yeah. <laughs> if I want <laughs> if I want strategy. nonfiction, I'll watch a movie. <laughs> it's right, faster. Fair. Yeah, fair enough. That sounds yeah. great. Hey, um, thank you, Shadi, for being here. You're you're an incredibly smart guy. Uh, since I've taken the role to add AI to my bag of tricks, uh, you've been uh, uh, the, the, the key to, to learning for me. So if you ask me that question, I'd just go to shot. <laughs> well, so thank you so much for, for what you provide and the help. In absolutely. The Thanks for inviting me to the podcast, Al. This has been a lot of fun. It has been fun. Thank you so much. And for the listeners, thank you for listening out there. We greatly appreciate it. Rate us, let us know where we can do better, and we'll certainly uh, alter it accordingly. Thank you so much, and thank you again, Shadi. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out.